This is the AOS Career Podcast, part of the Bone Bee Orthopedic Podcast channel. The series is hosted by the chairs of the AOS Resident Assembly and features conversations on professional development and growth opportunities within the field of musculoskeletal healthcare. Welcome back to another episode of the AOS Career Podcast. I'm Daniel Cognetti, the Vice Chair of the AOS Resident Assembly. We're happy to be joined by Dr. Thomas R. DeQuinn today, who is a Clinical Associate Professor at Jacobs School of Medicine at the University of Buffalo. He's also the Director of Medical Student Education for the Department of Orthopedic Surgery. He completed his fellowship training at the Mayo Clinic in shoulder and elbow surgery, and he is actively involved in a number of different research areas, including innovation, and has partnered with industry before on implant designs. We're very happy to have him here today. Hi, Dr. DeQuinn. Hi, Dr. Kegney. Thanks for having me. It's always excellent to do these types of educational seminars for our up-and-coming next-generation surgeons. So thanks for having me today. Pleasure's all mine. So let's get started. First, I want to just talk about innovation generally. When you're thinking about an idea or something comes up where maybe you see something in your practice and say, hey, that's maybe not the best way of doing something, how do you first identify that problem? And then what's your pathway for making that idea or that problem, that innovation into something that's real? I think probably a critical first step of all of this is to identify the problem, really understand the problem. I think we all have ideas and I kind of relate ideas maybe to one of those dandelion things that you have where there's a whole bunch of little ideas all over the place. But when the wind blows, a lot of them just get blown away and maybe are a little bit fleeting. But the challenge is really finding an idea that answers a problem. So it's really identifying that problem and then understanding the problem in its entirety. A lot of that comes through experience. I think you asked a specific question of how do you identify that? And I think looking at your every operations in terms of what you're doing and where you see challenges and your careers are going to be filled with this. You're always going to have difficult patients. You're going to have challenging problems that probably don't have great answers. And I would say probably the majority of people tend to run away from those problems because it's uncomfortable. We don't know exactly what to do for them. We know there's not a good option for them and it doesn't seem like there's anything that we can do. And the comforting thing is to escape into what we know. It's not to be afraid of that, but to embrace the unknown and be able to allow yourself to explore is I think where you'll find all the best opportunities for innovation that's really gonna make a difference in people's lives. What are some tangible things that you do once you have this idea to bring it to the next phase? Are you testing feasibility? Yeah. Research, 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 I think is where I would tell you to start. It's very common that people will even approach me or students with ideas and I'm like, oh yeah, we've done that before. Go back and look at the history of orthopedics and you'll see things that have been tried before. And that may not mean that their idea is completely wrong. A lot of things that we're doing now, reverse total shoulders, a perfect example of this in my own world for a specific type of innovation. Reverse total shoulders were designed by Dr. Neer and a lot of the sort of godfathers of shoulder arthroplasty in the United States, and they all failed. So they basically completely abandoned the idea. It took the French people in order to come up with a way to make it work. Now reverse total shoulders are done commonly and more commonly than anatomic total shoulders. It's one of those things where once you have an idea, I think you really want to explore it to see what the history's been, where we've been, and then see how your idea is different or maybe improves on that in a way that's going to bring value. You have to have an idea that's going to improve care, improve efficiency, make people's lives easier. It has to be something that's going to gain some traction in that way. And you got to do your research to be able to figure out if your idea is actually viable. Once 
you have that down and then you can really start to refine your idea. It takes a lot of time to refine an idea similar to a sculpture or something else. You might start with your rough cut and then you do your fine tuning. And a lot of times along the way, what you'll discover is that maybe where you originally saw this idea going changes pathways to a little different application, which is similar to what we've done with our electrical stimulation work for infection. We developed that in our lab with Dr. Mark Ehrensberger being the lead as a way to treat orthopedic implant infections. And now we're starting to understand that we can probably use this for osseous integration or improving healing of fractures and other things. So there's opportunities to see how that all works in different avenues to use technology in different ways. I've personally tried to come up with a couple ideas and during my residency. And as you mentioned, the research is the key thing because inevitably it seems like you come up with an idea that is a good idea but maybe somebody's already done it. So where exactly do you look to go do that research? Are you doing a patent search? And even where do you do a patent search? What kind of resources besides just say the orthopedic literature to look for these kind of things? I think the orthopedic literature is probably the starting point, but that's not going to give you the whole picture of what you need to understand. As you mentioned, patents and other things. So I think understanding the problem in detail involves educating yourself about the problem, probably beyond even what your idea is that you're trying to address. And that's done yeah, through literature. Once you have that idea and it's a little bit more crystallized into like a device or some particular intervention, that's when, yeah, you're probably going to want to start doing a patent search and really look and see if somebody else has already laid claim to said idea. Eventually, once you start getting into patents and all these other things, it does help to get some help. Most of us aren't attorneys or patent lawyers or anything like that. But if you've gotten to the point where you think that your idea has never been discovered before, it's something completely unique and it solves a particular problem, that's where you probably want to start really diving into that whole potential patent process. The challenge is it can be expensive and resources aren't always available to residents and people starting out. And that's where you got to make a decision. You can, at that point, partner with somebody who has resources, or you can take a risk on your own and invest some of your own money and resources towards that. That's where relationship with industry comes in. If you're a part of a larger institution, and certainly as a resident, you should understand what your IP potential issues might be. So if you're looking to innovate as a resident, understand that you're technically an employee of whatever hospital or residency program you're in. So be careful. They probably will lay claim to some of your IP in some way or all of it. So understand your position with all of that stuff before you start disclosing too much to other people. As soon as you start making those disclosures and other things, you start losing control of your idea and it can spiral out of control on you. You hit on a number of things that I've been thinking about a little bit as well, too, is a patent is really expensive. So partnering with industry may be a good idea. Somebody said at a talk that I was at maybe about six months ago that a patent is about $50,000 total to file one currently. And there's obviously provisional patents, which last a year, and there's the regular patent, a non-provisional patent, which lasts 17 or so years, I believe. So those are all things for obviously people to know about. But one thing I really wanted to ask you about, you mentioned too, about me being an employee of the hospital is... In your current setting, and I'm sure it's different for everybody, whether you're in private practice or an employed hospital setting, how did your contract work for your intellectual property? Was there talk at your negotiations in your contract about that kind of thing? And did you specify that out? Can you negotiate those kind of things? That's good, especially for those who are listening to this podcast or looking to make their first job or sign their first contract out of practice and stuff. 
read the fine line and make sure you have a lawyer review that stuff for you because usually that stuff is hidden somewhere in your contract. I had a clause that I had put into my contract that protected any intellectual property that I have outside of my normal work stuff. Now, in my role as a professor at the university and all the research that we do through our research lab and through the university, that's a different story. That IP is owned by the university. You may have dual roles and you have to be very clear about where these ideas get generated and what resources were used in the creation or refinement of those ideas just to protect yourself. I think there's probably a lot of people out there wondering that if they have any interest in creating intellectual property of their own, that's something you can negotiate and obviously be on the lookout for. You mentioned too in your prior response about partnering with industry. I'm wondering if you can take us through how that works because I think that's a point that residents are often wondering about. When do you partner with industry in pearls and pitfalls of partnering with industry? Find some mentorship for this. A lot of these industry partnerships can get a little bit complicated and it is good to find somebody who does them and understands it before you just jump in there. You never want to disclose anything to anyone without some sort of agreement in place ahead of time. So you do need to be careful. And I think surgeons are probably guilty of this all the time. Even in the OR with your rep and you see something, you're like, oh, hey, you guys should really do this in order to make your implant better. Well, you just disclosed your idea. They can take that now and run with it and you've gotten nothing from it. So if you do really have good ideas, you want to try to keep them to yourself until you have some sort of protection of that idea. So the ways to do that, it depends how far you can carry the ball down the road. If you can have the resources and everything else to fully develop an idea, come up with prototypes, and even maybe file a provisional patent like you mentioned, then obviously the sort of agreement or windfall, let's say from the company, will be very different than if you just go with them with an idea like, oh, I think that you guys should do this. If you do that, they might say, that's great. Come work with us and we'll develop that together. But you definitely can have what's called a non-disclosure agreement and they have all very standard ones. You just need to very clearly outline what your idea is, the process, and it doesn't have to be anything that's really super far developed but you do want to have them sign like a non-disclosure agreement before you disclose your idea. Then you at least have some protection if five years later they release something that's exactly the same as what your idea was. You have some at least legal recourse say, hey, that was my idea. I have it documented here and you guys need to compensate me in some way for that idea. But a lot of industry relations, they start you out on the lower level. They'll ask you for opinions on their things and what their implants look like and stuff like that. And building that relationship can be beneficial in terms of allowing them to see that you have innovative mind and the ability to help them move the envelope forward in terms of their portfolio or whatever that may be. And then as they find that your ideas are good, that you're thoughtful, that you are responsive, then you can build other relationships with them as well. That's some great insight, something that I have never heard before talked about. Thank you for sharing on that. There are some prolific orthopedic surgeons out there who have invented amazing devices and there's now ongoing lawsuits or prior lawsuits from industry. You mentioned the non-disclosure agreements. I'm wondering, do you also have intellectual property agreements during these consulting agreements? Are those all kind of fleshed out to start? So if you're working for them and you come up with an idea, are they automatically going to have rights to that as well? How does that work? Yeah. Again, you want your contracts to be very specific. So that would be my advice to anybody who's doing these things with industry. So if you're 
getting involved with industry or even like a startup or whatever it is regarding a product development, let's call it product X. So you've agreed with the company that we're going to develop product X. You want to be very clear in your contract that the intellectual property and what they're paying for you for this development and stuff like that, whatever you're getting out of it from a compensation is in regard to product X and not necessarily product Y, Z, other things that that you might be doing. Companies are very good about that. They understand that themselves. And on the same side, they don't want you laying claim to something else. But you do need to be careful because in those interactions through the development of product X, if you mention something else that they'll lay claim to that. If you are working with them on product X and you say, oh, you know what? The next thing we should do is this. They may go off and do that without you. Again, you've lost any right to it. And it's usually very clearly laid out in all of your contracts that that's the case. Because nobody wants to get into these legal battles. As you mentioned, there's some hard feelings and bad blood and whatever else that's gone back and forth between some surgeons and their industry partners. This stuff should be fun. It's exciting. This is why a lot of people want to get into it because you're really developing something new that hopefully is going to move the needle forward and make life better for our patients. Thank you. I think we've covered a bunch of different topics on innovation. I'm wondering if there's anything else that you want to share before we go. I would encourage everybody to be involved in this. I think it's really good exercise for people who are coming up through the ranks in residency and even early in your practice, because you guys and girls and all the next generation are going to have all the next great ideas. And I think it's important to always be looking for a better way. It's easy when you're in training to go with, oh, Dr. Duquin said this is the way it is. So that's how I'm going to practice when I'm done. And that's fine (laughs) to a certain extent, but not completely relying on that. To always have a questioning mind, to be asking why. I think that is a part of innovation, even beyond working with industry or coming up with an implant or something. It should be part of innovation in your daily life where you're constantly questioning why you're doing something. And if you can't clearly understand or reproduce for yourself why we're doing something, or maybe why we're not doing something. And I think that's where the ideas will start flowing and you'll start to come up with some ways that we can help our patients. As great as a profession of orthopedics is, we have awesome opportunities to be able to fix people and put them back into their lifestyles and take away pain. There's still opportunity for us to do better. So I encourage everybody to always have one of those inquisitive or innovative type minds and approach problems in that way. Yeah, be naturally curious. I think the potential to innovate is one of the most stimulating things within orthopedics and innovation is the next step in evidence-based medicine, right? It's the improvement of care. It's the ultimate evidence-based medicine. So thank you for sharing your insights with us today, Dr. DeQuinn. It's a pleasure having you on here. And for anyone who's interested on innovation or patents, you can go to the AOS website and look at the AOS innovation series, and then be on the lookout for talks on innovation at the upcoming annual meeting in March. Dr. DeQuinn, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me and hopefully see everybody at the Academy meeting in Las Vegas. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AOS Career Podcast, part of the Bombi Orthopedic Podcast channel. For more information on this topic and to hear other conversations on professional development, please visit aos.org forward slash the Bone Beat.